We are going to be in Deuteronomy for, for the foreseeable future. I don't have a timeline for it, so we'll just take it. The plan is to go through the first 12 chapters only, not because there's a great dividing line there, but to go through all 30-plus chapters uh, would probably take a year and some change uh, to do that. Um, but first, why, why bother with Deuteronomy? Aren't we New Testament Christians? We just like, oh man, it's dusty, it's moldy, doesn't apply to us anyway, since we're not under the law, but under grace. It's all God's word, and so God's character and his attributes are seen throughout. So even though the events may not apply directly to us, the principles and the precepts can. Good. Do we... Still say that killing is bad, even though we're not under the law, but under grace. Saying that murder is bad. Yeah, yeah, murder is bad. Should we still have children honor their mom and dad? Does the New Testament tell children to honor their moms and dads? What does Paul appeal to? Yeah, but where's he get that from? Yeah, from here. You know, from the Paul goes all the way back and tells children to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is the first commandment with a pro- promise. Problem. Let's go say First commandment. <laughs> this commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you. Um that you may live long in the, in the land. Um, so, yes. It is Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus are heavily, numbers too, heavily cited within the New Testament over and over again to argue for the Christ, to argue for our conduct and our behavior. They appeal all the way back oftentimes to the law. And we're going to see that uh, really throughout the study. Um, so, man, really important, especially in today's day and age. Why, why is it so important that we be grounded not just in the New Testament, but in the Bible? Why should we be grounded in the Bible in today's era, today's culture? I mean, we have science. We have we have we have objective truth. That's just kind of if that's good for you, like heroin. Fine, do do your heroin. 
there, but it's like every theory and ideology, it has to have a grounding point. And so if you believe in science, it came from God. Yeah. But in, in our culture today, you're just going to get, you're going to get pummeled from all sides uh, about being a person of the book. And some of the things that they will pummel you on are found in Deuteronomy. You go, what? You're going to, what? And so it's important for us to have an answer. Not, not necessarily to, wow, maybe, maybe what I believe is false. No, not that. But to give them, some, to dismantle their argument, to give them a seed of truth that perhaps will work its way into the cement crack of their heart to spring up unto new life uh, there. Um, mo- most people don't give it the time of day. They know nuggets about it, and they know dark, ugly nuggets out of context. And so to, to lace it into the context of Scripture and God's message to his people then and today uh, is, is really helpful and really needy. So, I mean, that's why we're that's why we're going to go there. Why we're going to anchor here. Uh, any goobers out there that know what Deuteronomy means? If you got your study Bible, I'll probably tell you. The second telling. The second telling. So, both in Latin and in Greek. Uh, that's that is how it was always labeled the second telling. Second telling of what? Yeah, I mean the law is primarily given in Exodus, Ten Commandments, and maybe even some into Leviticus. And here, a lot of people go, "What? He's just saying the same stuff. It's already been told before." Okay, good. So why is this being retold again? It's still relevant. Okay, it is still relevant to them, but time has passed. And that's, that's really, so contextually, that's what we're going to see here. We'll hold off on, on that for just a moment here. And just just kind of gee whiz, I didn't, I didn't know this. But uh, for the five books of the law in, in the Hebrew, they don't call it Deuteronomy. They don't call it the second telling. They take the first words of whatever the book is, and that is, uh, that is what the title of the book is. So Genesis is, is kind of like that in the beginning would be the title in Hebrew for, for uh, um, if you look at the first uh, verse of Deuteronomy, these are the words. That's the title of it in Hebrew. These are the words. Elehe hadaberim. There you go. We'll just call it Deuteronomy. Thank you. Deuteronomy. So the time, the time, and really this is kind of why it gets to the second telling. Uh, I'm going to start out our study in Deuteronomy actually in 1 Kings chapter 6. Because we are going to anchor this in history. 1 Kings chapter 6. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 says, 
In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So in Solomon's fourth reign, he began to build the house of the Lord. And it tells us this was 480 years after the Exodus. So Israel is, is kind of anchoring things on that time. I mean, there, there's a, the Exodus, and then you know, now we are a nation at that point as God redeems his people. So archaeology, history, writings, and such pretty much anchors Solomon's time to be about 966 B.C. So he began ruling about 970 B.C. The fourth year of his reign would be 966 B.C. So on a timeline, when uh, I mentioned this one of the last times I, I taught you guys. If you want to go nice round numbers, if you think 1000 BC is the time of David and Solomon, you'd be pretty good. You go about 1500 BC and go there's about the time of Moses and then go about 2000 BC as the time of Abraham, you'd probably be pretty close there as far as ballpark numbers. But 466 would be the time uh, that he began to build the temple. You go 480 years before that and you get the Exodus at 1446 B.C. My math is correct. If. That's always a big one. So 1446 B.C. So is that saying that it took 40 years to construct this? Nope, that's when he started. In the fourth year of Solomon. Oh, okay. In the fourth year of his reign. He began to build. Okay. So the Exodus then is 1446, but that is not when Deuteronomy is written. Okay, so that just kind of gives us an, an anchor for the Exodus at that point. But to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Okay. Somebody read uh, verses 1 through 3, please, Corbin. We'll just start on my right and we'll work across. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tafel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> it works. It is 11 days journey from Horeb to the way of Mount Seir to that name. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. Good. So, the 40th year. 40th year of what? Since the Exodus. Since the Exodus. 40th year since the Exodus. So, okay, we've gone back. Now we've got to go forward. So really, Deuteronomy is going to be anchored about 1406 B.C. There, 1406 B.C. We'll, we'll, I want you to kind of think 40 years here for just a minute. But just kind of by way of, you know, sometimes we talk these big amounts of times, 480 years, and you go, yeah, okay, whatever. 
But you think about our country being 242 years old. 242 years old. And Solomon, in the building of his temple, they're, as they're writing about this, they're anchoring it off of the Exodus 480 years prior. Man, we don't have any history 480 years prior. You know, we're, we're back in the 1500s then, 1500s, 1600s. They're, dudes are just sailing across, 1492 Columbus, yeah, but there's not much happening over here other than the indigenous peoples. We, so we're, we're, it gives you kind of a, a sense of the span of time as they look back toward the Exodus, as we kind of anchor ourselves in the Exodus. So the question then becomes, why, what's up with the 40 years? Wilderness wandering. Okay, why? They, God sent spies out to the um, land of Canaan, and all but two said, this is not good. There, there are people larger than us. We, we don't think we can take it. But yet Joshua and Caleb were the ones saying, no, we should take this land. And God said, for 40 years, this generation yeah. will wander except... Okay, and now you begin to get a sense of why there is a retelling. The law came down to all of Israel. Um, in that in that time frame, during the time of Exodus, during the time of Moses, right after coming out of Egypt. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay, great, we're going we're to do this. But then God leads them out away from Sinai, takes them up, and I'm, I apologize, this is as faint as it, as it is. Where was Sinai? I don't know. Some people say Sinai was in Saudi Arabia. It's over here somewhere. Okay? Uh, the Sinai Peninsula here, the two forks of the Red Sea. Some would have Sinai down at the southern part of uh, the Sinai Peninsula. But they left, God finally tells them to leave, and they wander up toward Kadesh Barnea, up in the north of Sinai, to then go out and spy the land. <coughs> okay, to go out and spy the land. And we're going to actually read about that uh, later in uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, uh, because the retelling is going to remind them of what they did uh, back in that time. So they had, they had ventured out and, and gone up, in verse 2, to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days journey. How many people are moving as they, want, as they move up there? Millions. Millions. Yeah, really, millions. I'm sure. You know, 600,000 men. Okay, men. So you think... Women folk, too, probably be the same amount. So we're up to 1.2 million. And all the kids, you could probably safely double that. And you're up to 2 million and change. 
So 11 days journey, and you go, yeah, okay, I can, I can see that. Here's your 100-mile marker right here down at the bottom, about the size of my forearm there, going up a little bit further than if you were to move a million people from here to Oklahoma City. Okay, on foot, across a mountainous desert. Where are they getting water? Where are they getting food? Yeah, God's, God's providing for them. Good. Uh, from Kadesh Barnea, the spies go out, and we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll look at that in greater detail uh, uh, probably next week. But then God forbids them, closes the door on them going up. Very, very painful, painful situation when Israel is told, okay, you're not, you're not going to go up now. Um, and so they wander. And, and what happens is from Kadesh Barnea, they end up turning to the east and going up the east side of the Dead Sea. God tells them to leave Edom alone as they pass through and pass by. Why? Who, who was Edom? Who was known as Edom? Esau. Esau. Yeah. Okay. Essentially, Israel's brother. So leave these people alone. These, these, God has a plan for these people as well. Which is really encouraging, really a great exhortation for us to go, God does care about people groups. God does care about nations. He does. You can't read through scripture and go, well, okay, all he cares about is the church. No. He does care about the church, loves the church, but he does care about nations uh, as well. Um, and so they go up here and ultimately end up having conflict with a couple of kings. Og. 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 King, Og, king of Bashan. You think, imagine him with like a big club. And Sion, king of the Amorites. Up there, there's conflict, and Israel ends up taking the land on the north side of the Dead Sea, up on the west side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea right here from the north. Okay, and they end up camping over here across from, you can see Jericho right, my hand, by the way, right there. Jericho right there, and that is where... Israel ultimately camps, and essentially that's where they are. They're on the eastern plains of the Jordan River Valley. Um, very interesting, uh, ge geographically speaking. What's, what's unique about the Dead Sea? It's dead. No it is dead. <laughs> RRR, you're killing me. It's very salty. Yeah, it is very salty. What else is unique about the Dead Sea? It is the saltiest body of water, I believe, on the planet. It is. Go further. It is the lowest place on earth. It is not, not obviously not underwater. It is, it is the lowest place on earth. So you imagine the Mediterranean Sea here, and the terrain rises from the Mediterranean Sea as you get to, like, Jerusalem. But then it drops off precipitously on the other side of the Mount of Olives 
to go down into the Dead Sea region and then up again to the mountains on the east side of the essentially the Jordan River Dead Sea area. So really, there's some serious terrain in there, and Israel is essentially on the plains of the east side of the Jordan River, probably be more like that, and Jericho is over here on the west side of the Jordan River. And so everybody's kind of high up and can look down across the way and see across, which is why Rahab and all the people knew that what in the world is happening across the river there with all of those people. So this is where they are. And verse 1, these are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel. Okay. Who wrote Deuteronomy? Moses. As you go into the New Testament and you hear about citations when they... When people are speaking back, you see it in, uh, with regard to the Sadducees, you see it with regard to the Pharisees, you see it with regard to the Apostles, you see it with, with regard to Jesus Christ. When they refer back to these books, they will not necessarily say in, in uh, Deuteronomy or in Genesis, they will say, Moses said. Moses said, and they will attribute it directly to Moses. From Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is why you will hear it referred to as the books of Moses also. So here Moses is, is documenting, Moses spoke these words to all the people. Now, how do we know that Moses didn't write all of Deuteronomy? Because he dies. Yeah, because it tells us he died in Deuteronomy. That would be really hard. Um, so obviously, somebody filled in the blanks, very likely Joshua, who was his successor, filled in and penned uh, the epitaph uh, for Moses there. And who did Moses speak to? The children of Israel. Okay. He's speaking this to the children of Israel. Again, think about the 40 years. What is unique about the people he is speaking to? Is the children of um, those that were supposed to go to the promised land but didn't because they said, no, we're not going to take it. They have now grown up. That generation has now passed. Right. God condemned all of their parents, everybody who was of essentially the age of accountability, who would know the right from their left, the right and the wrong. There, condemned them to die, that they were faithless and would not go up, but for two, two, two of all of them. That was Joshua and Caleb, who were the ones saying, go. Everybody else to a man was like, no, they're too big. They're giants. There's giants in the land. God said, you are a faithless people. And you will not go into the land. But their children would. And so it took 40 years for that, their parents essentially to die off. And now the children are about to go forward. So as he speaks to all Israel, 
He is speaking to the children. And so, again, you get, a, you get a much better sense going into Deuteronomy on why we are going to read things that had already happened, things that had already been documented. We're getting a second telling here on why it is so important. What did Moses tell them? Yeah, down there in verse 3. Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment after them. How do we know that's true? We, we mocked Joseph Smith for having his little golden tablets that he wrote on. We mock um, Muhammad for having his vision in the cave. Why do we not mock Moses for, oh, talking with God on the mountain, were you? Okay, sure. Absolutely. Israel asked the same thing. Sure you did. Yeah, right. Okay. And Moses asked about that before the burning bush with the Lord. And the Lord said, see that staff in your hand? I'm going to do great wonders through it and through you. To affirm that what you are saying is what I told you to say. Now, what if he had gotten it wrong a little bit? Maybe, maybe he missed something, do you think? Maybe he forgot something. Well, he did forget something when he struck the rock. Boof! Beautiful! God is very particular about... <laughs> Doing what he said. The way he said it. And if you don't, you're not going in. Now, God told Moses to speak to the rock and water would come forth. And Moses had headed up to you with Israel. And he, you, you adulterous people, and he struck the rock and God in his grace still allowed the water to come out to provide for his people. But then he said, hey, Moses, <laughs> dude. And I would, as you have to punish your children, I have no doubt that it grieved the Lord to do that. To, his, to, his, to the one he loved so well who was meek before the Lord and humble before the Lord. But God's word is God's word. And it is so important that we pass it on correctly. That's why textual criticism and the science of understanding the ancient manuscripts and which are good and why translations matter. And we shouldn't mess with translations just because it culturally feels good. 
Oh, it makes me feel better. No, that's not what it says. So it's very important that when it says he instructed, he spoke to the people of Israel according to all that God had given him in commandment to them, we go, great. When we read this, we can then have confidence in it. That's why the Bible is such an ancient book. Because the Jews took great pains to preserve it throughout. And why the church fathers took great pains to write about and preserve the texts of the Gospels and the Epistles uh, really to us today. This is, this is one of those areas where culture and, and scholasticism is going to swing away at the authority of the Bible. It is going to strip and neuter the authority of the Bible. And it's important that we have an answer for that. For, for, for two very prominent reasons. One is for, for evangelistic reasons to show them that, yes, this is the word of God, inspired and inerrant. But also for our own faith. Because, as, as Arnold pointed out, God doesn't ask you to believe something unsubstantial. The authority of Scripture is very substantial. And it is a sure foundation. And as saints, to, to have that confidence that when I pick this up and I open this up, I am opening up God's Word to us today, preserved for us today I'm not going to make people read uh, more names here uh, even though I've already mentioned these two guys anyway moving on Does it, before, before I kind of press on from here uh, any, any comments thoughts, questions we started off with how many people we're estimating minimum 600,000 minimum sure, minimum and, and sometimes It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, no. It doesn't uh, say that. Yeah. You know, the Bible does say he gathers the leaders. Mm -hmm. Yes, and actually we're going we're gonna to look at that maybe today, probably not, probably not until next time. So there may be some areas that are difficult to understand, especially when you do math, that you have to have a means to reconcile that. What are, 
I mean, could could we fill a stadium? Let's like uh, yeah. let's see, Michigan. Uh, I guess the University of Michigan has like one of the biggest stadiums at a hundred thousand. So, could you put somebody out on the fifty-yard line and he be heard by everybody? It's a microphone, yeah, but if he doesn't, uh, everybody's gonna have to be quiet to hear. Yeah, er sure, surely everyone is gonna have to be quiet. But I would contend they probably could, as an orator. There are some places that are are natural amphitheaters. And the sound will bounce well and correctly to to reach more people. I, I, I don't know. Uh, there, how was it disseminated to all of the people? I don't know. Again, we're going to see ultimately the import and importance of leaders here coming down the pike. But bottom line is, all Israel. He spoke to all Israel, and so the inference is then that all Israel understands this so God essentially showed himself strong here this is part of what Moses is sh sharing and it's after this that all of this sharing takes place after he had defeated Sion king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edri beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab Moses undertook to explain this law. Okay. We see when they come out of exile during the time of Ezra Nehemiah in about 400 BC over here that Ezra seeks to explain the law and to give the sense to the people. Okay, they didn't eat, everybody didn't have their own scroll then like we do. The fact that everybody's now got a Bible or gajillion Bibles, does that mean we can dispense with biblical teachers? Why not? In the New Testament, we are told to gather together with the saints and also submit to leaders. While you can't submit in the context of church leaders, you can't submit to church leaders if you are neglecting gathering together. Well, let's let's say we have leaders for the church, but what's why why is why do we make teaching such a big deal? I mean, some of it's hard to understand. Some of us need a teacher to teach us. Okay, interpretations, that's great. Which interpretation matters? God's. God's, exactly. You know, what did God intend? If I say something to Tracy and she misunderstands me, now let's say I say it politely and, and nicely, okay, and I'll say it like a jerk. But she misunderstands me and what I've asked or told her. Who's, who's in error here? Well, her desire should be as my spouse to uh, seek my intention. What did I intend by what I meant? Okay, now if I, if I said it like a dope, then she might need to go, hey, 
But God doesn't say things like a don't. God says exactly what he means. says it very clearly, very plainly. But some things are hard to understand. Peter even says that. Peter says that of Paul. Paul says some things that are hard to understand. Peter the fisherman and Paul the scholar. So Moses, having spent so much time with the Lord, here on the cusp of Israel going into the promised land. That is, that's where we are. There on the threshold of the promised land, Moses is going to seek to share with them again. Maybe a new and a fresh. Maybe a lot of the kids haven't gotten the whole story. A new and a fresh. God's covenant plan and purpose for them. Verse 5. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moses, Moses, beyond the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain the law, saying, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, Horeb's another name for Sinai, so down in Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah. The Arabah is essentially that Jordan Valley there. In the hill country and in the low land and in the Negev, that would be southern Israel, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates. God's telling that he's essentially just describing the land of Israel in its entirety, the great sea, uh, the sea coast, all of it. He says, see, I have set the land before you go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them, to give to them, and to their offspring after them. So, in setting out from Sinai, okay, Moses is retelling. This isn't a current thing. Moses is retelling God's command to them to go up and take the land. Notice what he appeals to. God swore this land to whom? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, think of that that rudimentary timeline. 400 years, 500 years before this. Okay, God made that promise back then that this land was going to be theirs. He anchors it in that. Now, would it be hard for them to leave Sinai back then? They'd been at Sinai for a while. I mean, Moses by himself was 40 days and 40 nights up up there on the mountain. We had the whole golden calf thing happen there. So they're there for a couple of months at least. And, and they're worshiping God and there's you know fire in the mountains there and the law comes down and manna and it's a great place man we got God right here why go up why go someplace else why leave this mountaintop experience I mean sometimes to go out and to follow God's commands means to leave a secure place am I going to trust him to go there but this is this is a, a, the place of good worship there's good worship in this place go 
Trust me. Go. Follow out. Go to this land. Um, you know, God, God saves us to go. He doesn't save us to make a little monastery here on 8th and Travis. Travis. He saves us to go out, really, from this place. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Can I ask a geographical question? Ask a geographical question. Where it says there, um, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, well, I've always thought of the Euphrates as like way over here as you're looking at the map, but then I noticed that it goes up. So it does. So talking more of a northern? No, I would... It says Lebanon right before that. Wouldn't that have been north of? The, the Arabian Sea is way over here. Big, nasty desert. Nobody travels across. They go up. Sorry, I'm going to draw over my drawing here. They go up the Euphrates River until it gets green up here, and then they come down this way. They call this the Fertile Crescent. You may hear the, the, the term the Fertile Crescent. That is how they would come down. So the land that God is speaking of extends all the way up to not just straight north, but you know, really along the all that habitable region there was all that God is giving given to Israel when He spoke to them. This study you can kind of see on the top of the front is is really really I hope to be an exposure of the majesty of God's love for his people. We see here specifically his people Israel, but it translates to us here today, the majesty of his love, and really to be awed and uh, taken by that. Um, Hopefully you will find this study in Deuteronomy a delight to see how God works. Um, As Moses retells, you will see God reveal his glory, his holiness, and his purity over and over again to Israel and what he expects of them. As he is holy, he wants them also to be a holy people. And so as they are exposed to his glory, it ought to impel them and really us to worship. And as we are awed by our God, it should expose to us we are broken. We, we are a frail and broken people. We can't do this on our own. I, I can't do this. I can't go in and take this land by myself, even with these people. They are prone to wander. But his glory and his power and his strength and his command and our love for him should really move us forward and impel us to service of our God and our Savior. That's it for today. Kind of an introduction into Deuteronomy. Here where we're going from there next week, we'll look at leadership, the leadership that Moses exhibited toward the people and the big boo-boo at Kadesh Barnea.
where they didn't go up and take the land. Moses is going to reiterate that to them, not to rub salt in the wound, but to remind them, don't be like your parents. Okay? That isn't, okay, I'm going to be hip, I'm going to be cooler. No. I want to be more obedient. I want to thirst after God even more than my parents did, hopefully. God bless you. In threes. Any, any other comments, questions here on the open?